Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Janelle Rarden. Janelle is a trauma-enforced professional life coach, and she spends a good deal of her day-to-day work with brokenness, broken families, broken relationships, broken hearts, and souls. In response to the pleas of her clients, she developed a set of emotional health tools to help them repair the broken parts of their lives. In Stronger Every Day, and on today's episode, she shares these powerful tools with you. With inspiring scriptures, quotes, prayers, personal stories, and case studies, Janelle sets us on a path of emotional health so that we can be stronger than ever, every day. Hello, Janelle. Welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy you're here. I couldn't be happier, actually. And just to say, I love the name, the Love Offering. (laughs) It's just, it makes my heart rest. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, we have we have a similar heart because you actually have a private practice called the Heart Lift Practice, yes. where you specialize in trauma-enforced, attachment-based, and faith-infused modalities, which is a mouthful. So I, it's I a mouthful for talk to talk about just this work that you do within your practice. Well, I tried to be very specific because the work that I have evolved into doing is very specific and intentional. So I preclude my practice with that because to be trauma-informed means that I have done a lot of work, a lot of certifications, a lot of study to understand how best to help someone who has experienced either little T, middle T, big T trauma, and we're in a collective trauma currently with the pandemic. So uh, that practice of moving into trauma unfolded for me in a very uh, natural, organic, God-led way. Um, I am also, as as you just said, uh, attachment-based, very intentional and specific and strategic. I personally, when I understood what it meant to possess secure attachment in my own life, it was a game changer. And I I hate to say I was in my mid fifties. I'd actually already been through my master's study and I know that I learned about attachment theory, but through a very personal, very difficult valley, uh, attachment theory uh, came up again in my life. And once again, another game changer. And I thought I have to spend the rest of my life making sure everybody in the world, (laughs) at least in my world, under my watch, understands how to process very difficult emotional states, and they understand what it means to have secure attachment in life, what it means to be safe, to be heard, to be seen, to be cared for, to be known, to belong. And then finally, faith, you know, faith-based is, I see the world through the frame of Christianity through faith. And so everything that I do in my life is informed that way. Mm, yeah. Oh, me too. Thank you for describing and explaining all that to me because it definitely makes <laughs> it's a lot more it makes more sense now. Um, but you actually have a, a book that you've written called Stronger Every Day, where you provide nine tools for an emotionally healthy you, which is something that we all want. So what prompted you to select these specific emotional health tools? It was very, very personal. 
Absolutely. As I've already said, my own personal emotional health journey through life. But also, it really was prompted, um, Rachel, after my first book was published way back before social media, 2007, when I was the mom of three teens. And it was called Rock Solid Families. And we weren't in a, a, a pandemic, so I could actually have, you know, book signings. And so I would meet people at conferences and meet uh, people through workshops and book signings and the line of women, particularly, there were a few men, but the line of women that would wait post event, wait a long time in line to talk to me, to meet me was extremely humbling, but pierced my heart because I just, ca I caught their tears. Basically what I did was catch their tears and I, and I heard their stories. And so their tears really became a calling for me. The cries of their heart became a calling because I, two points, one, I needed more training. Second, these were people who framed their life through the lens of Christianity. These were women who had sat in the pews of church since childhood or perhaps for decades. And there was a huge disconnect between their spiritual health, their spiritual life, and their emotional maturity. And I didn't really know that's what it was at the time, but that was my, my call to go back. I went back in my 50s to get more training, to get my master's. And then after the publishing of my next book, the same, it just kept, it kept just one unfolding after the other, that this disconnect between spirituality and psychology in a sense, um, is just one I can't, I can't sit around and not do anything about. So I really feel compelled to integrate to the best of my capacity, theology, psychology, and spirituality. And so this book was really born out of that very long journey. But once again, okay, the people that I've met, the people in my life, the people in my practice, my family, my own life, if we knew these nine tools, if we had them, if we possessed them in our hands, life would be different. Life would be lived better. And so I always say, once you know better, you can do better. So it's really my hope, the whole initiative behind Stronger Every Day was that it will at least create an awareness in the lives of those who hear about it that, you know what, I think I can be better. I think I can do a better job at living my own life. I think I can do a better job in my family. I can be a better mother. You know, I think I can just be better. Yeah, yeah, that's something we all long for. And I'm, I'm just thinking about it. I'm so glad you're bridging this gap of, you know, this mind, body and soul and yes. heart and connecting them all because they are so intertwined. And, and so I'd love to just hear, you know, I'm sure you have this strategy. You know, what is the thought behind these specific tools that you've selected? Synergy is like the word. <laughs> Synergy and cohesion. And so as I selected these nine tools uh, for Stronger Every Day, I've already spoken of two, secure attachment, obviously spiritual formation. Um, there are 
really nine strategic ones. I can read them if you want me to, yeah, or we can sure. just, okay. Well, okay. It's totally up to you, but yeah, maybe that would give us a better like indication of where we're going. And we are going to kind of dive into them as we, yes. Well, as we continue on in the conversation, but yeah. I start with the pursuit of meaningfulness and that might seem a little odd as well, that what is in the heck is that doing at the beginning of your book? But in the realm of positive psychology, which is a newer realm, a newer um, arm of psychology where Martin Seligman um, and other psychiatrists, a little bit like myself, saw be able to get to live life, you know, or in, in the world of psychiatry, get them on a medicine or get them to a place of homeostasis or equilibrium, but couldn't get them to live joyfully or with happiness or positivity. And so they were just called, you know, this is how calling start and frustrated. And so they developed these practices and principles. And one of those is the pursuit of meaningfulness, eudaimonia in the Greek. And that just means practice, practicing and living your life in a way that is not so egocentric, but is, is, you know, how can I make the world better? And you just find a way to find a, a, your passion in that secure attachment, which I've talked a little bit about, cognitive reframing, which just is a very big old psychological word for how we shape our thought life, mm -hmm. right? And then self-compassion. It's just not talked about enough, especially within the Christian, the Christian way of life. You know, self-care, self-compassion, anything that has that self in the front, it, at least in my generation of teaching, we, we really, you and I are in different generations. It really was not something that you, you thought about. We, mm -hmm. we would talk about joy, Jesus, others, you. Yeah. Yeah. And whereas I believe that I believe wholeheartedly that my life is an offering. It is a love offering. Every day I wake up, I am a love offering to the, to those in, who are in my sphere of influence. But if I don't take care of me, you know, you know that what they say, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And I like to say, if mama ain't healthy, if mama ain't emotionally healthy and mentally fit, well, no one in her sphere of influence is, is going to be. It'll be miraculous. I mean, though there will be those that overcome. I'm one. But how much better would it be if mama, you know, or caregiver or primary person who's loving others, raising others? took care of herself. You know, yeah. every time we get on a plane, right, Rachel, every time we get on a stinking plane, they're like, moms, dads, put your mask on first. And I'm like, I probably still wouldn't do it to this day. I know. <laughs> it would be so hard for me to do that if my three kids were sitting by me. Then I move on to healthy assertiveness, spiritual growth, memory reconsolidation, which is Another aha moment in my life when I found out about that, that's a trauma tool as well as an emotional health tool. And then uh, human connection, which is really everything. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we've alluded to this several times, but are you willing to, would you be okay with telling us a little bit more of your, your personal journey through pain so we can kind of associate why do you have such a passion um, for right. Yeah. Yeah, they always say that when you look into therapy programs or counselors, most of us have needed it ourselves first. Yeah. yeah. Uh, short story is I came from the home of an alcoholic father 
And he was also um, in the Marine service. My mother was one of the first women Marines in 1949. And so I came from a household of an alcoholic father, a lineage of alcoholics actually, and infidelity. I was the youngest of my family. My siblings are seven and a half and eight and a half years older. And so the the family I experienced, the relationship I experienced was very different from that of my siblings. So I, you know, I like to say I sadly saw, really saw the worst. And so just having that affect and understanding when you have a home in which there is uh, this dysfunction, you know, I like to just say the unhealthy communication patterns and the unhealthy behavior that I saw, well, I absorbed that. And so, you know, I think I've lived my life uh, from a moment when I was 10, standing at my bedroom window going, this is just, this can't be normal. You know, <laughs> like, I just feel like I've been called since I was a little tiny girl to observe and to watch family systems. Mm-hmm. And it just, when I now can look back over <laughs> six decades, I look back and I go, I really was called from a very, very young age to, to intuit myself, to observe how family systems work and how they don't work. So I think it is very personal in the fact that my, my formation was really built on a house that was built on sand. Mm -hmm. And so ever since then, I've just been trying to understand and overcome. And now that I have, I've certainly not arrived, but I have come to a place of wholeness that I want to, to do what I can to help others have that earlier than I did so mm-hmm. that they can live a life filled with that meaningfulness that we were talking about. This may seem like an obvious question, um, but do you have anything to say about some of the early childhood experiences or situations that then later, years later, cause issue for adults? I know that seems obvious, but I'd love for you to no. just unpack that a little bit. You know, I don't, I really, Rachel, I don't think it's obvious. I mean, okay. every day when I sit across from a client or sit in the middle of a family system, I am, as they say, our British friends say, gobsmacked. I am shocked. I I, I come to the dinner table with my husband in the evenings and I go, I just don't know how people, like how women put on lipstick or put their clothes on in the morning. Like when I hear these stories of the human spirit that has risen from flames in their childhood experiences, I am astounded at the power of the human spirit. So on the other side of that, though, it's my call is often to awaken them to do you really even know what you've lived through, Mm. you know? And so I think the atmosphere of our family of origins, you know, maybe some of us grew up in foster care, maybe some of us are adopted, you know, so I can't just say our moms and our dads, but our caregivers, those who have been influencers in our life. Uh, growing up, whether it's teachers, coaches, whatever, I think that if we have lived in an atmosphere of rage, uh, I, I speak a lot about the anatomy of yelling and the anatomy of repression. So in my household, 
my alcoholic raising, <laughs> raising up was the silent treatment and repression. And so, you know, just we as children absorb the unhealthy, the toxicity. Uh, maybe you had a, a teacher like myself in the first grade. I had a beautiful nun. I, I went to parochial Catholic school and on the first grade, she knew nothing else. You know, this was what she knew. Um, she put me on the white line on my birthday and my sixth birthday because I was talking too much. I probably was just really, really excited. It was my birthday. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a, a white line that stood between the school structure and the playground. And everybody had to pass by it during recess. So that was a shaming experience. So I didn't know at six years old that that was entering the fabric of my soul. I didn't know that. I mean, maybe you had a, had a bully in the third grade, or maybe you had a little group of friends. I have many adolescent clients. What a day we're living in with social media who are being shamed, you know, on TikTok and on these different uh, platforms, you know, or they're being excluded. Well, those are all really traumatic experiences. And we really don't understand the affect of those because we, thank God, thank God, we have a built-in survival mechanism called fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And we put on strong survival defense mechanisms and coping skills. So that's a long answer to your question, Rachel. But I think that it also leads us into a, a beautiful practice that I like to encourage everyone in my life to just be more aware. You know, maybe you're tripping over the same behavior. You know, like for me, it would be shaming. Now you are so worthless, you know, gosh, well, you're so loud. You would just quiet down. Why are you so loud? And why do you get so excited about things? Well, that goes right back to being six. I didn't know it for years until I finally had the aha through my own practice of awareness because I was so tired of tripping over the same roots in my life. So tired. So maybe there's a listener that's really tired. Yeah, and I think I think we're we all are tired because and I think something that I heard you say that I think we need to be mindful of is, you know, we all know we all have our own issues and our own baggage and things that have happened to us in our background and experiences. But mm -hmm. to be mindful that the person putting on that lipstick that looks like she's all got it all together. Got it all together that was maybe in a therapist office an hour before crying her eyes out struggling with things that were in her background too and so just to kind of uh, just have compassion for one another and just self-compassion to, to whoever because we have no idea what battles they may be facing no um, and it really helps us you know I I'm a pro I all I've done my whole life is be on stage so I'm a pro at the staged self you know, I, I still have to battle, you know, authenticity and understanding that if you, Rachel, know the real me, you're going to love me because you're going to just accept me, you know. So I think that that's a good word for today because uh, so many of us, we're, we're a culture that just excels in that. And so the only way to change that culture, right, or uh, cancel that culture in modern day terms, is to begin with yourself, to start with your own heart, 
and to look at accepting your own self, because when we do that, then we're a lot more humble and a lot more willing to be authentic to other people. Well, one of the ways that you say to do that is, is to create a heart board. Yes. So, so what is that and why is it so important and, and what should it reflect? Well, I have two beautiful examples. I mean, now we're, we're, you can't see here, but um, if you want to check over on my, you know, my website later, there's a beautiful example of a, what I call a healthy heart and an unhealthy heart. So I chose a heart board because in the, in the world of therapy and life coaching, vision boards are a really big deal. I've done many vision boards myself. I love them. I, I am an, a professor. I teach life coaching and counseling. So it is definitely something I make all of my students do. But when it came to this work that I do, it really is all about the heart. You know, Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, above all else, above all else, guard your affections. Guard what you put your eyes, ears, and heart and love in. Because everything in life flows from it. So I just invite readers, and now today we'll invite you, sweet listeners, uh, to just draw a heart on a piece of paper. You know, I even think there are hobby stores, you know, that have beautiful heart wood boards and heart uh, laminate boards. Now it's so fun. They're everywhere. Etsy has them and spend some time, grab some magazines. You're creative. I know you're creative here on the love offering, just whatever, get a vision and just write what you want to see happen in your heart. So a lot of times I, when I'm doing this with um, clients or workshops, I start with what you value. And I have a beautiful value worksheet that, that you can access later if you'd like. But what do you value in life? So what, what are the virtues that you want to see come forth out of your heart, right? So it would be what? Community. What do you value? Do you value friendship? intimacy with your husband. These are not going back to that word eudaimonia and the pursuit of meaningfulness. That's different than hedonia, hedonism, which is just the pursuit of what makes you happy. Mm. I want a new car. I want a new house. You know, I want, oh, I want those new shoes. I want, and those are all fine. I love style. You know, I love it. But what gives us true meaning in our life? are those things that, those virtues and those things that we value uh, that are more intrinsic, right? They're more about the inner life, the inner journey than they are about the external. That's yeah. I actually just wrote a post today and um, the title of it was, How's Your Heart? You know, nice. just like to have that visual reminder, you know, yes. an actual wooden or I have it. It's up there beautiful. Yeah. It's like, uh, this is how, this is what I want my heart to be. And I want it to be a heart after, after his, God. after God's, yes. after God's heart. Well, yes. so I think in order to do this, developing spiritual practices is, is mm. just so important. It is. So I, I, I'm confident that you have some daily and weekly practices um, that you, that you do yourself. So which have you found to be most helpful for you? Well, I love first and foremost that you're asking this question because I love that spiritual practices and spiritual formation are really becoming more and more of the language of our faith. For so long, they were really left to the desert monks or to the, <laughs> the holy people, right? Yeah. To, the, 
holy ones. You know, our churches are loud. Everything just seems to have gone through a very loud period. But I think that our bodies and our spirits are speaking out and saying, oh my God, I'm so high wired. I can't handle this. And so I think in my, I, I, me type A, I am so high functioning and high wired and adrenaline driven that in my own life, personally, once again, it was a matter of survival. And so I had to look at, because my body was calling out, body keeps the score. I have several autoimmune issues and things that God just put his finger on. And he said, your nervous system is a mess. And you've been sweeping things under the rug for a long time. And when you do that, you sweep them in to the nervous system. And so my sweet little daughter, Janelle, I want you to calm down, just calm down. And so the practices that do that for me are, and this is sometimes it's controversial. I'm going to, I'm very physical. I was a dancer my whole life, that stage girl, that dancer girl. So yoga, mindful yoga, holy yoga, a stretching um, there's a beautiful practice called yin yoga, Y-I-N, that is uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk um, actually suggests that when you're trying to heal deeper emotional wounds. And it's where you hold poses for three to five minutes and it gets into the connective tissue, which is where the healing takes place. That's been a necessary um, life practice for me and learning, regaining an understanding and a a, a real true how to do this mindfulness, stillness, silence, and solitude. Well, that's so hard. Mm-hmm. So definitely I would propose the greatest way to begin that is just to sit. First, be aware, as we've said already. But second, I just, before we got, got on here, I sat for 10 minutes. I listened. There are so many apps that have beautiful, mindful, spiritual, mindful practices where you just sit, you breathe, you're conscious about your breathing, you calm your body down. Yeah. yeah. And, and if there, if there's someone out there going, I could never do that. Then I just encourage you one minute. Mm. And if you're a mom of littles, shut the whole house down for one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes. I call it the 30 minutes of silence back in the day in my house when I was homeschooling by choice, not by force. Um, it was like, okay, it's quiet time. It's quiet time. Everybody has to go to their space and be quiet. And we started with one minute. Yeah. Two minutes. My kids are now in their thirties and they have a true, I really, honestly, they have it. I didn't know what I was doing back then. Didn't have any clue, but I knew I needed it, but they all have an appreciation for a quieter soul, a quieter, mm. calmer soul. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. I'm seeing it almost, it seems like this is on repeat for me lately. This, mm. this, <laughs> this quiet, restful, Sabbath, reflective, mm-hmm. um, because I think it is so countercultural because mm-hmm. it's, it's such a noisy, We're loud, noisy. busy world. And so, it, and, you know, I think about, you know, Jesus, yes. he, he had a lot to accomplish, but he always took that time to get away, to quiet, and then go back. then go back you know it's like you've got to have both in order to fulfill the calling and purpose on on our lives and um I would tell you Rachel just in in short I cannot imagine being a mama of littles today 
I mean, my kids are, my twins are 30, my oldest is 33. I developed that in a, a practice really pre-computer. We had dial-up. I'm, I'm aging myself here. No cell phones, you know, none of that. And I still was crazy. It was still a very noisy world that we were living in then. It's just exponential and compounded now. But the principle is the same. The principle does not change. We are to be still and know that he is God. I don't think anything has changed externally other than it's exponential and compounded. I think that Jesus lived in a noisy culture as well. So this is, this is a relevant word throughout all the centuries that we need to practice those, those quieter contemplative disciplines of stillness, silence, and solitude in order to hear, in order to hear so that we can live not only a better life in our own skin, but to be a better service to the kingdom of God. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Be still and know that I'm God. That's uh, yeah. We need to marinate on that one a little while. Don't we meditate yes. on that one? It's tough. Uh, something that you write about is the power of a good cling. So <laughs> what does this mean? You're, you're in, it's referencing someone's relationship with God. So I'd love for you to expand more on this thought and, and how it also relates to insecurity. Oh my goodness. So this is in the practice of sitting in God's presence. It's the practice of spiritual formation. So it goes right along with what we were just talking about. And, you know, I uh, love to garden in the sense I'm not a master gardener, but I, I needed uh, some imagery. Nature always speaks to me. So the short story is I planted these vines called moonflowers. And I myself was going through a very difficult time, an emotional, difficult emotional journey in my life of growth. And so I planted these moon vines and they, they blossom at night, at dusk, and they are fragrant and stunning. And so the moonflower became my, <laughs> my flower of hope, you know? And so, but then one year, a couple of years ago, I planted two and they intertwined and they became a moonflower monster in my backyard. <laughs> and they were no longer bringing me pleasure. And they brought my husband far less pleasure because they were just everywhere. And they were so intertwined. It took me at least four or five hours to at the end of the season to get them off of my trellis. And it was not pleasant. And I write about that so you can read about it. But what I've learned from that is we want to have just the right amount of cling in our life. It was such a visual picture in nature of being too clingy, which is codependence, which is what that's the culture I grew up in, right? In an alcoholic home, it's more prevalent in addictive um, homes. You're codependent. You don't know where one person ends and the other person starts. And so you don't know who you are. You have no sense of personal sense of self no autonomy. Autonomy is, you know who you are, you're good, you got this, right? So then the other swing is to be interdependent. And that is really what I believe Christ images for us in John 15 with the true vine, that we're to abide, we're, we're to have just the right amount of cling to our father. He doesn't want us to be too clingy. He gives us a mind, a voice, a heart. He works through us 
So just that perfect amount of security. When we when you look at codependence, right? That's what leans to insecurity. I don't know who I am. Going back to that attachment theory I was talking about just quickly and briefly, I, Janelle, found out I had an insecure attachment. I didn't know who I was. I had no idea. And so once we come to understand just that right amount of cling, right? Just that beautiful image of abiding in Christ, then I know who I am because I know whose I am. And therefore, I move through life from this beautiful place of security with just the right amount of cling to my husband, to my children. This filters out. That's why so many of us, you know, as mamas, when the children do fly away from the, the nest, eventually, you know, we're like, I don't know who the heck I am. At least mm -hmm. I was that way. Who am I now that I'm not a mom? I poured my life into these kids for all these years. I did have other things, but mamahood was just very strong identity for me. So fill in the blanks on that today. You know, are there other things in your life that you're just clinging to for your sense of purpose, your identity, right? It can be work. It can be ministry. It can be fill in the blank. So I always like to get clients and myself personally to a place of autonomy. I love my husband more than life, but I want to make sure that I'll be okay when and if something were ever to cause that, you know, and, and we're, you know, we're aging. So it's something that's for in the forefront of my mind, you know, so I want to be able to have just the right amount of cling so that I can be healthy and I can be dependent on God in a right way, independent, you know, interdependent so that I can move through life from a place of security. It's a good place to be. I really love that imagery um, and, and that will stick in my mind as well. And, and I also love how practical you are. You've given us so many good practices and good tools and things that we can actually go and, and do. And another thing that you actually recommend that we do is get into a healthy habit of writing down our thoughts. Mm, so yeah. how has this been helpful for you personally? It's difficult, you know, and I'm a writer. So right. <laughs> um, I, I, I love the power of putting pen to paper or fingertips to, to computer, um, but it is proven scientifically neurology. Neurology has proven to us that when we actually put something down on paper, there is a connection from the brain, through our arm, through our fingertip, that makes something more solid, more secure. It just, it's a, it's a healing process within the brain. The brain is so multifaceted and so miraculous to me. How just a simple thing like writing an intention on a piece of paper or writing down really hard, hard, truths that you're going through in your life or just keeping a, a ledger. You know, I'm so grateful for those that have gone before us who have kept, right? Those who wrote the word of God down for us so that we have it today. So for me, the way I framed that in my life was I wanted to leave my children a legacy of my journey, you know, so that it would help them as they're moving on in their life and in maturity. So now I'm a little bit more intentional. It's a little less about me when I'm writing down my thoughts and my words, 
but it's more about, you know, if you face this or if you face that. So there's just a proven scientific, beautiful affect of writing things down on paper. And if you find that impossible, once again, I just come back to one sentence a day. You know, there's even, there's journals out there now. I've seen them. They're beautiful gift books where you just spend five minutes a day or one minute a day or one sentence a day, you know, get it down on paper. Yeah, it's doable. You're making doable. this all feel yeah. doable. Stronger every day is doable. Stronger every day. Yes. <laughs> it's so, not strongest every day. It's it's a process. Er, yes, a process. Er. Yeah. You know, and and I that's why I really love things like Instagram and all of the things like Instagram has become my journal, which is, you know, now there are places that print that off every month. So it's like, yes, that's nice. I like that. You know, so I just have a journal every month of, you know, they're just different companies out there that will just print it right off Instagram. And so I get great joy to that. I started that as a connection to my children, but now it's kind of a visual journal as well. And I love that. Well, based on today's conversation, Janelle, how would you suggest that we be love offerings? Oh my goodness. What a beautiful, this love offering thing. I just love it, Rachel. I'm so happy Thank you're you. doing this. Thank First you. and foremost, I'm a broken record when it comes to this. It is going to be mamas or whoever's listening, anybody listening. <sighs> Above all else, guard your affections, guard your heart, because absolutely everything in your life flows from your heart. So you have got to practice self-care. You've got to pay attention to your inner journey because your greatest gift to yourself and to everybody in your spheres of influence is your emotional health. I will pound the table over that. Your emotional health informs your spiritual health. They're inextricable. Well, and I wish uh, we joked earlier because this is audio only, but you and I are seeing each other on video and your sweatshirt or your shirt says, take care of yourself. And so you are, you're you're preaching this message all the way around. And and I absolutely love that. And and I know that everybody's going to want to stay connected with you like I do. So how can we best do that? Please stay connected. I want to grow stronger with you every day. Just go to my website. Absolutely everything you need is there. And that's JanelleRaredon.com. All right. Well, I will include that in the show notes. And Janelle, just thank you so much. Today has been such a gift. You have encouraged and equipped my heart practically, um, emotionally. I do feel stronger. And I pray that that's what happens with all of the listeners as well as every day we grow a little bit stronger um, in Christ and that, that he will heal our broken places in our hearts, minds, and in our bodies. Yeah. So thank you so much. You're welcome. My honor. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Janelle Reardon. We hope that today's episode gave you tools for an emotionally healthier you. Our love offering this week is from Janelle, and she says that your greatest gift to those around you is your emotional health. Your emotional health informs your spiritual health. They are inextricable. If you're interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I would love to connect with you there. I'd also love to connect with you over on the Love Offering Facebook community. There each week we dive in deeper into 
each podcast episode, into each blog series, and we encourage one another to live faithfully and love fully. If you have not yet subscribed, rated, and reviewed the Love Offering podcast, I'd so appreciate if you would take the time to do that, just so more women can hear this Love Offering message. All of this information can be found at rachelkadams.com. There you can subscribe to receive the weekly Love Offering newsletter, and all of this information can go straight to your inbox each week. Also, there are some great free resources, including Beholding Advent, a devotional that we will be going through all through uh, the month of December together in X expectation and preparation of Christ coming. I hope you will join that as well. Next week, my guest is Ashley Abercrombie. Ashley is the author of Love is the Resistance, where she poses this question. What if our first response to the world around us, no matter what is going on, was love? I can't wait to share this conversation with Ashley. But until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love.